You know, one thing I know about the Lord of the church is that he is faithful, faithful to complete what he started in us. Celebrating the Lord's faithfulness is something that we need to consider because we're talking about us being faithful, but you know what? Our God is faithful and that should motivate our faithfulness. We'll learn more about Philadelphia's faithfulness in Revelation 3 today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. You know where most Christians fail? Knowing the Word of God and doing it. I'm going to say that one more time. Do you know where most Christians fail? Knowing the Word of God and doing it. It's not that complicated, you guys. It's just knowing God's Word, which I think so many of you are growing very rapidly in knowledge of God's Word. But then the second part of that's probably harder. Because head knowledge is one thing. Execution is quite another. I wrote that book. Um, many of you have read it. It's... Uh, suit up, putting on the full armor of God. And that's one of the things I tried to say in there is, is, you know, we can have all kinds of head knowledge, but unless we put on the armor of God, you know, sometimes you say the armor of God and people roll their eyes. I know, I know. I learned those pieces in Sunday school. Yeah, I know, but you got three darts sticking out of the front of you right now. So I'm not sure <laughs> how you've been putting those on. You may be hanging your hat on them, but it's about, it's about it. Jesus said, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death, John 8, 51. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, John 14, 23. Jesus said in John 14, 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. In John 15, uh, 20, he said, they will also per persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Look, everything comes down to this. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me master and then have no intention of obeying me? Sometimes I wonder why people walk into Christian churches every Sunday if their intention is to leave and go sin. Now, Christians are people who sin. We all would admit that. Hopefully we're sinning less, but there's no sinless Christian. But when Christians sin, they feel conviction, and then they want to repent and get right. Amen? But some people sit in churches week after week, and when they leave, they know they're going back to their sin, and they have no intention of changing. And sometimes it just makes me wonder. Now look, I'll say this, and I want to be careful behind this hunk of wood that I'm honest with you. I had a long stretch like that. First four years of my Christian life. I was trying. I think there was a part of me that wanted to do the right thing, but I was losing the battle. And I know it can be a battle. But look, Jesus, he says, look, I want your obedience. Behold, look at verse 9. I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, we saw them mentioned earlier in Revelation 2, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Can you imagine being in a city like this where there's a huge uh, Jewish presence, perhaps a huge synagogue, and you're, you're 
you're spoken of with derision in the city. They're like, you're, that's a joke. Jesus isn't the Messiah. God doesn't love those people. Gentiles were made to fuel the fires of hell. And Jesus says, you know what I'm going to show them one day? I'm going to show them that I have loved you. And the Jews are going to come, and I'm, I'm not speaking of all Jewish people. I'm speaking of those who were uh, opposing the church and you know, uh, trying to inflict harm on the early church. This is a promise. Write this down. In Isaiah 60, verse 14, it says, The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing down to you. But get this. This is some grim irony. The promise, originally in Isaiah 60, verse 14, was written to the Jewish people, saying that Gentiles from all over the world would come down and bow before them. And it flips around in Revelation with some grim irony, where now it says that the Jewish people who are persecuting the church will bow down before the Gentiles and realize that Christ love, loves us or loves them too. So that's kind of how this works. The church is the object of Christ's love. You are loved by God. Do you know that? God loves you. Sometimes it's a little hard to conceive. We ask why. <laughs> what did he see in me? Well, he, whatever he saw in you, he made a decision to love you. And right now, he loves you, and he will love you to the end. He will love his bride all the way into the heavenly kingdom. Amen? He will not stop loving you. He will never stop loving you. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. That's why marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, or the gospel is a picture of what marriage should be. And so this is the love that God has for us. The church had all kinds of enemies, but one day they will all see the love that God has for his people. Look at verse 10. This is a bit of a controversial verse, but um, before I move to verse 10, just, just underline, know that I have loved you. Some of you need to underline that right there. Know that I have loved you. I will continue to love you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, the word for perseverance is hupomone. It's a combination of Greek words, which means to, it speaks of cheerful endurance. It speaks of remaining under. Uh, you're under pressure, but you stay true. That's the idea here. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. The word for testing is parasmas. It's the word often translated either temptation or testing, depending on the context. It means a putting to the proof that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Now, Revelation 3.10 is, there's a couple of camps on this. One camp, and this would be those who fall in the pre-tribulational rapture camp, say this is a promise to the church that they will be kept from the hour of testing that's coming upon the whole world and therefore, the church will be raptured before there's any kind of tribulation. But remember, I've tried to make the case for you, and I want to be as gracious as I can be, knowing that there's some different views with some good people on both sides of this argument, that there is a difference between the day of the Lord, which is God's judgment, and tribulation, which is trouble, persecution, and testing. The day of the Lord, 
the judgment of Almighty God will not be a time of testing. Do you know why? Because when God's judgment falls, it's going to be judgment on an unbelieving world, and the day of the Lord will not be light. All kinds of scriptures I could tell you, but it won't be light, it will be darkness and gloom. It won't be a day to celebrate, it will be a day where it's going to be radical, cataclysmic judgment. The day of the Lord is not a test, it's just simply judgment. So, Revelation 3.10 says, I will keep you from the hour of testing. Now, in what sense, and this is what everybody wants to know, in what sense will we be kept from the hour of testing? Well, let me just um, give you a few facts on this, and I'll share some of this with you, and I'll let you come to your own conclusion. Uh, One writer says it's impossible to rightly conclude that to be kept from the hour of temptation or testing is to be raptured before the day of the Lord or the day of the Lord commences. The thrust of the verse is against this interpretation. It is precisely because the church was faithful to Christ in time of trial that he in turn will be faithful to them in the time of their great trial. So it's not guaranteeing, just to put it in simple terms, it's not guaranteeing an out-of-here situation. It's not saying uh, you're not going to have any problems because you've been faithful to me. You've been faithful to me through the problems. If you interviewed people in the Middle East right now who are in underground churches or in China or other places, they would say if, if uh, tribulation is in the future, uh, uh, <laughs> can we talk a little bit more about that? Because we are, we're in tribulation now. So, Here's where I get fearful, and I'm not saying that all people in this camp uh, hold this view, but sometimes it's, it's painted in this way. We're going to be spared from all the trouble that's coming upon the world because we'll be out of here and we're going to be raptured, and so we're, we're going to be spared all of that. Folks, the church, I'm sure you've noticed, but I'll just remind you, has rarely been spare, spared tribulation or persecution. It's happening today. In the last hundred years, two brothers did some research, and it was done a little while ago, but they wrote a book, and they said, in the last hundred years, there's been more persecution of the Christian church than for the 1900 years prior to that, back to the time of Christ. In other words, in the last century of our world, there's been more persecution against the church than from ancient times when we read about persecution and we think, well, it was a lot worse then. Because the Christian church has been targeted for extermination in some places. You know, some of you heard about the tragedies in Sudan. Uh, A lot of you are hearing about the tragedies in the Middle East where churches are being destroyed. They're throwing crosses off the top of churches. People are being exiled out of their country. It's it's quite frightening for a lot of people. So, um, here's another writer. He says, the day of the Lord has no temptation or testing associated with it. When all the day of the Lord texts are scrutinized, they indicate nothing whatever of testing. The day of the Lord is a time of divine judgment, of absolute awesome wrath on a godless and unrepentant world. The great tribulation, by contrast, is a time of testing. Uh, For example, Genesis 22.1 says, God tested Abraham. Look at uh, Revelation 2.10. This is the other church that doesn't get any kind of rebuke or call for repentance. Revelation 2.10, take a peek, says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be what? That you may be tested. And you will have tribulation 10 days. 
Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth Weekend Program. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Look at uh, Revelation 2.10. This is the other church that doesn't get any kind of rebuke or call for repentance. Revelation 2.10. Take a peek, says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be what? That you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So again, this idea of tribulation and testing seems to fit better with a time of pressure for the church. Think of it this way. As the book of Revelation unfolds, what do we have? We have an Antichrist that rises, and he starts to demand upon the world that you must take his mark to be able to what? Buy or sell. And if you don't have that mark, you will not be able to buy or sell. Now, who would be the ones that would refuse to take that mark? Some people would argue it's going to be tribulation saints. But others would argue, no, the, the very people that are there, by virtue of them resisting the, the uh, mark of the beast, are going to be believers. And here's my question. This is just something to wrestle with. If you could not follow Christ when things were easy, and you're an unbeliever, do you think that tons of people are going to be converted when it's going to be at the cost of your life or not being able to buy groceries for your family? You know, I know we hold out hope that people will convert then, but you know, I think those who would be opposing such a thing would be Christians. We're going to have the image of the Antichrist. We're going to have all kinds of things going on at that time. Those who keep the word of his patience are those who, under the stress and pressure of the first three and a half years, and quoting another writer of the 70th week, stay steadfast and true in the face of adversity. The hour of temptation is a specifically appointed time which speaks of the great tribulation or great trouble. It's going to be cut short, we will uh, learn later, for the sake of the elect. So in what sense are people kept from the hour of testing? Let me give you a little bit more on this because I think it's important. One, by physical removal. Perhaps men of faith will be watchful. They will flee from Jerusalem, like we will see later in the book. It could be by divine protection, something like happened at the time of the Passover. The Jewish people, there was a distinction between Egypt and the people of God. The darkness was on Egypt, but not on the people of God. The plagues hit Egypt, but they didn't hit the people of God. Everybody with me? So it could be something like that. That's what some of our post-tribulational friends hold to. Keep, you are from the hour of testing in this context, translates a Greek verb that carries the basic idea of protection while within the sphere of danger. Now there's two possible interpretations of this um, phrase, which is ektereo. So here's, here's the possible interpretations. It means you either are taken out of the sphere of danger 
or protected within the sphere of danger. And I think Greek scholars would say both are possible. So one view in plain language would mean you're removed from the danger, and I think that would be our pre-tribulational friends that are in that camp. And then there would be others who would say, no, the way that you really would uh, uh, look at this in terms of the language is you are protected within the sphere of danger. Something similar to the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace where uh, the, you know, who we believe is Christ protects them in the midst of danger. Now the only other place that we have this idea of ektereo is in John 17. It's very important that you see this and then we'll move on. John 17, here's this same phrase, ektereo. And take a look, John 17, 15, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's going to die the next day on the cross. He's praying to the Father, praying for the world, praying for the disciples, and he says these words. He says, I do not ask, John 17, 15, I do not ask thee, praying to the Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from. See that phrase, keep them from? That's the same language. I don't ask that you take them out, but protect them from who? The evil one, okay? So go, go back to Revelation. I'm going to touch on this because I know a lot of you, you know, you're, we're studying the book of Revelation. What about the rapture? The timing of the rapture. And what do you believe, Pastor Michael? Okay, here we go. There's four major views now of the rapture. One is pre-trib, one is mid-trib, one is pre-wrath, and one is post-trib. Walter Martin, one of my heroes, was post-trib. I don't hold that view. Chuck Smith, another one of my heroes, was pre-trib. I don't hold that view. Uh, A lot of other good scholars are mid-trib. I don't hold that view either. I hold what's called a pre-wrath view. By the way, I'll just say this for all of you. This is nothing to divide over as a church. It's only going to matter to one generation. Okay, right? (laughs) Don't you agree, though? I mean, there's one generation that's going to be the rapture generation. Everybody else is going to die. Those are the facts. So if we happen to be that generation and it's pre-trib, and somebody's holding on to your ankle and saying, I was mid, I was post, baby. It'll be all right. I think all true Christians are going to be raptured. The question is, when will the rapture happen? The pre-wrath camp says, the church is not appointed to wrath. No wrath for the church. However, we do not believe that the wrath of the Lord starts until the seventh seal, which I will teach you in Revelation 6, 7, and 8. So our friends on the pre-trib side say the whole seven years is the day of the Lord, basically. Most, most of them hold this. And so everything is the day of the Lord, including tribulation and wrath. It's just, for most of them, I think, it's all kind of within that sphere. Those who are in a different camp, and I'll just say for my position, I hold that the church will go through a portion of Daniel's 70th week, and then before the wrath of God begins... God will remove the church, but I think that's going to be well into this period of time. In other words, I think a good portion of the early part of the 70th week or the final seven years won't be God's wrath. It will be Satan's wrath or tribulation against God's people. Everybody with me? 
I will explain more on this. This is not an essential doctrine. We are to give each other charity on this. I have wrestled with this for a long time. I taught the pre-trib view. I hold a pre-wrath view now. But again, I'll just say to you, it's not an essential. Okay, more to come on that. Stay tuned, same bat time, same bat channel. Oh, we got to hurry now. He says, I am coming quickly, verse 11. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Now, I'm coming quickly. You could look at Revelation 2.5, 2.16, 3.3. Didn't necessarily seem to be the second coming, but here, boy, it, it sure seems to fit with the second coming. I'm coming quickly. So think about, if you were in this situation, let's say that just for the sake of argument, uh, you're a Christian going through a tough time of persecution and tribulation. What, what would you be looking for to hold on a little tighter and longer? The soon coming of Jesus. You'd be saying, Maranatha, come quickly, especially if it's a time of persecution. So he says, I am coming quickly. Hold on. Hold fast to what you have in order that no one takes your crown. Don't give up. In a place where the, there was a, a stadium and there were games, keep running, keep boxing, keep fighting. Don't give up. And finally, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. You may have been shut out of the synagogue, but you'll be a pillar in my father's house. Amen. And he will not go out from it anymore. Nothing's going to take you away from me. Uh, interestingly enough, in Philadelphia, there was an earthquake in AD 17. And they said after this, even after the city was rebuilt, there were tremors. Uh, for a long time, and people didn't want to stay in the city, so they would stay in the outskirts in tents. How many of you remember the Northridge earthquake? My, my boss at the time, his house was, the foundation of his house was messed up, and uh, he was a very great businessman, and he was well-to-do. He had to sleep in his car with his family in the front driveway because they were afraid the aftershocks might cause the house to completely collapse. Well, this is what was happening in Philadelphia. Uncertainty, couldn't go back into your house, locked out of the synagogue, but Jesus says, no, you're going to be a temple. Uh, you're going to be a pillar in the temple of my God. You ain't going anywhere because I have prepared a place for you. You're not going to leave there ever. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name, which probably speaks of things that we're going to know about Christ at the second coming when we see him face to face. And finally, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Well, you know, I love how each of these uh, sections concludes with he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, this is for us, friend, brother, sister, this is for the church. Jesus is the Lord or the head of the church. And he has called upon us to be found faithful like Philadelphia. And man, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. That's what we really want. But I don't want to pass by the fact that we've gotten some assurance from these promises at the end of Revelation 3. And the assurance is this. You belong to God. If you're in Christ Jesus, you belong to him. And Psalm 23 comes to mind. And I pray that this encourages you. We, you and I, who know Christ, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No one's going to take that away because Christ is faithful. Praise the Lord. 
Now, remember, friend, you're always invited to come to church at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where I have the privilege and honor of serving as senior pastor. Next weekend, we'll have a family Sunday where five and above, all the way up to seniors in high school, worship with their families. I'm going to be teaching on the body from 1 Corinthians 12 that we all have a part to play in glorifying the head and being effective, efficient as the body of Jesus Christ. So come on out. And I want to let you know that you are invited today to come out to one of the services at Living Truth, either 9 or 11, 15 a.m. It is a great church. I'm sure that you will be blessed and enjoy it. Now, the address to Living Truth is 1009 Arsenal Way, 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona. All the information can be found when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Now, make sure you come up and talk to me after the service. I would love to meet you. and I'd love to find out that you're a radio listener. It's a great blessing to us. And so come on out, and I'll meet you in the courtyard, and I'll buy you a donut. Actually, they're free, but I'll give you one anyway. (laughs) Come on out. Love to meet you. Now, you've heard pastors say the last thing that you want to be is a lukewarm Christian. Well, that comes from Jesus' words to the church at Laodicea. We're going to dive into that teaching in Revelation 3 on Monday, the lukewarm church of Laodicea. It's not what we want to be. So let's think about how we can be on fire for Christ, how we can be refreshing for him and not lukewarm. Make sure you tune in then. Until then, may God richly bless you. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.